Of the 470 shark species, only 30 species have been found to have attacked humans, and only 4 of the 30 species make up the majority of attacks. These are the great white, the tiger, the bull shark, and the oceanic white tip, which is believed to have the most attacks, even though many of these are undocumented due to the attacks occurring at sea, away from the public eye. The United States is home to the overall shark attack capital of the world, New Smyrna, Florida, closely followed by South Africa, then New South Wales, Australia, where I live. While shark attacks receive an inordinate amount of media coverage, the likelihood of being bitten by a shark in the United States is less than 1 in 11.5 million. To put this in perspective, on average, 3,300 individuals drown each year in the United States, while shark attacks affect only around 45 people, and on average, only one of those cases is fatal. Yet even with this low risk, with everything we know about sharks, with everything we do in their home, whether it's surfing, diving, or spearfishing, as a mere few examples, why do we not talk about first aid for shark attacks, as commonly as we do CPR? The human body has, on average, between 4.5 to 5.5 litres of blood. The great white shark has been said to attack prey, then wait for it to bleed out before coming back to consume prey, making it a safer ordeal for the shark. In addition to this theory, they possess fat receptors in their mouths and cannot judge the fat content of prey until having bitten it. Both these methods of attack leave us with one major opportunity for survival, stopping blood loss. So as a conservationist myself, who advocates for the protection of sharks, I feel like it's my responsibility and also desire to be honest and true to the fact that sharks are not harmless, and in order to be proactive to the potential danger they bring to our species, first aid knowledge is a must. Think of this as an extension to my surfing guide to sharks, another look into the first aid that could save a life in the presence of a shark attack. Joined by Benjamin Crook, clinical nurse educator in emergency and creator of the ED Jam Medical Podcast, we're going to run through some of the things you need to know about shark attack first aid. Hey, Benny, what time is it where you are right now? It is 11.40 at night. You are definitely made for shift work because the amount of energy that you have this time of day is just, it's not okay. Bro, you got to fire. When you work in ED, you got to be ready to fire at any time, mate. That's, it's got to be a kind of hectic, crazy job. Uh, yeah, it's hectic, bro. It's, um, you know, you can be going to someone with a, you know, a splinter in their toe for four years to someone who is in a lot of trouble. Um, and that's why I like it. That's why I like it, you know. Maybe someone's got some stuff stuck somewhere they shouldn't. Maybe someone has a handoff. I don't know. But that's why I love it. It's cool. You know, it, it makes it interesting. You never judge people working in emergency, trust me. You never judge people because, yeah, you just don't. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I used to work, like, uh, as TSA security at the airport in Brisbane, and I feel like, it's kind of the same caliber of job. You never know where people are going to try and stick things and you can't judge them. 
and people just become so weird when they're traveling, much just like ED, I'm sure. <laughs> it's so good. It's so true. It's so many weirdos. It's <laughs> a good it. way to people watch. But And when you're not working, you're, I just learned your favorite thing to do is to get in the ocean and surf. Yes, I'm a keen surfer. Um, grew up sort of like South Coast, um, sort of, yeah. So I love the ocean. It's a part of me as a person. Um, and it's something that I get told if I'm being annoying or if I'm too hypo just to go and have a surf. Um, so <laughs> it's my love, I love the ocean. I love surfing. I can't describe the feeling. Um, I actually, off topic, but I found a photo of me and Andy Irons, who has one of the most amazing styles as a surfer yeah, at an airport. And um, he described surfing his first wave. He goes, I went left, I went right, I went left. And because it was just the most amazing feeling. And I always just remember that when I got my first wave standing up. So I love surfing. Such a simple but perfect way to describe it. So I know that that stoke for surfing is what you and a lot of other Australians have when you're getting in the water, when I'm telling you that you shouldn't be getting in the water. (laughs) Like Definitely as surfers, you spend a lot of time around dangerous sharks. And you you just told me that you went surfing at like 7 p.m., which is like one of the things you're not meant to do. So obviously you're always in these risky situations. A lot of Australians are. And as someone that works in a place where you're seeing a lot of trauma incidents, are there a lot of shark attacks in Australia or do you think it gets rather blown out in the media? I think it's blown out for sure in proportion. It's definitely blown out of proportion. Um, I was actually chatting to a friend of mine in Florida last night. This is actually, he's a trauma nurse. Uh, and he said per capita, Florida was a place where there was a lot of sharks. Australia, no, nah, not at all. Like even in my time in trauma, I've probably seen two. And I've been doing this for like, like, you know what I mean? 10 years, like, you know, 10 years. So no, not at all. Um, I've seen stuff in the media for sure. And I have friends that have been involved in stuff. But no, not, not a lot at all. Blown out for sure. Boosted out of proportion, boosted. Yeah, have I seen them in the ocean? For sure, yes. Right, so they are there, they are around people, but not everyone's going to get attacked. But attacks do happen, and I kind of wanted to get you on today to just talk about some of the first aid people can do, um, but also you you were attending to someone that was a shark attack victim, um, which would have been would have been rather confronting as well, I imagine. Um, what was the biggest challenge physically for the human body? of that shark attack victim? I think the biggest attack is to not go into shock, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm. Um, The way I describe this is if anyone's, um, if anyone kind of like plays tennis, you can, I describe the human body, like you've got love, 15, 30, 40, the game of tennis, and then it's game over. So the biggest, the biggest thing, I know this is a little bit silly, but the biggest thing is when we lose too much blood. Mm -hmm. Um, That is the biggest thing. We have roundabout, 4.5 4.5 to 5.4 liters of blood in the body in an adult. Children are obviously much smaller. Pregnant women have a little bit more um, because of um, fetal, um, fetal stuff. But um, the biggest stuff is definitely shock, going into shock. Um, and when patients go into shock, that is when we run into a lot of trouble, higher mortality rates when patients go into shock. Right. Um, so when we lose blood, it seems really simple. Um, when we lose blood, excessive amounts of blood, we're in greater trouble. So if the game's getting to 30, 30 it's worse. That means like 30% of blood loss, if that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. Thank you for putting it in like really basic tennis 
terms. Thank you for explaining yeah. to me like I'm five. That's how I want to be explained things. I wish everyone did. Like, honestly, it's such a good way to put it. <laughs> well, I just try to put it like, for, like you know, for hemorrhagic shock, because that's if I always think about it with any sort of, in, in relation to sharks, I guess what I want to say is that any sort of trauma, there is a few algorithms that we can follow, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I always say the thing that we're losing most that's important to us in the body is blood. Um, so for this yeah. case, the biggest thing was excessive blood loss from the patient's thigh. Um, he had a large, huge gouge um, out of his thigh. Um, and we have two big vessels that run down the inside of the thigh, the femoral artery, um, which is the biggest one. And that was the biggest concern is that he was hemorrhaging out of the femoral artery. That's what we get worried about. Right. So that's obviously like there are places that it's worse to get bitten and, and, and have blood loss. and like we're quite aware that blood loss is the biggest issue when dealing with sharks. I was recently in Esperance, uh, which I'm sure that you, yeah, you know that area. You love WA, you love surfing there. So I was actually um, on a shoot and we were swimming with great whites. Um, we were trying to look for a nursery and trying to prove that there's evidence of, of baby great whites being in a certain area. But of course, with that comes some of the adult great whites. So it was really, really crazy because I just like had this feeling of like comfort and then all of a sudden everyone on my dive has a tourniquet like attached to their dive gear. <laughs> it's just like one of these moments where you're like, okay, that's really good. That's really smart. And now I try and dive one attached to my dive gear as well. But it was like this eye-opening moment where you're like, wow, this is real. We are, we could be faced with a really life-threatening situation underwater and people are, are ready for it and it's very real reality of being in the water with sharks so yeah blood loss it's 100 yeah blood loss is huge um and there there are a few algorithms that we can follow which we can talk about um tourniquets i've delved into tourniquets um for anyone that wants to know about tourniquets it's very interesting there's some, i'll give you some show notes for some articles to read on tourniquet use um because it's really important to understand the use of tourniquets because it's not always the best option right it's not always the best option, yeah. yeah. So I guess the thing I follow is an, is an acronym called MARCH. With any sort of major trauma or any sort of um, injury, I follow basically um, this algorithm. Um, and M stands for major hemorrhage. So you want to assess somebody and see, do they have any major hemorrhage happening? Um, and that obviously the most concerning places are from the bigger areas like leg, arms, you know, big torso injury, those sort of things. Um, so, and what we can do with massive hemorrhages, we try to stop it. So if it's like a nick, because you remember like a shark, like anything, you could be bitten on the finger, the hand, the leg, you want to stop it. Direct pressure is probably one of the biggest things that we can do. Apply direct pressure, um, which we can do to any sort of limb. Um, if you think about the, um, how the body works, arteries, they take blood away from the heart. Veins, they um, push blood up towards um, and they're low pressure, veins are low pressure, arteries are higher pressure. Um, so I always imagine it like if you had a hose and I was to make a really tiny hole in it, that's like what losing it out of a, a, out of a vein. But if you put a large hole through it, that's like losing it out of an artery. Right. So you don't need to go to the tourniquet straight away. You can, you can do other things to stop blood loss. It's like last minute if it's really impossible for you to stop it yourself, you go there. Yep. So I guess I'll, maybe I'll give an example, um, is that, if that's cool. Let's say you got bitten on the, on the calf 
Um, and just just for an example, or like, like our case, you, the gentleman was bitten on the upper thigh. Um, depending on how big it is, you can make it. You could make a, a quick decision. Um, in your um, industry, you've got blood or fight response. So it depends if you're the patient or you're the person bitten. I think there's two different approaches. Um, I might just go to being the responder first, and then the patient's going to be different. If you're the responder, um, people always want to admit that they're going to jump on board and like, you know, get involved. But some people do get scared. If that makes sense, um, some people might get out of the water. Some people might just freeze. Um, we we know that sort of stuff from you know knowing that the body releases all those catecholamines and all those um, endorphins, dopamine, all those sort of things. So what you could do is assess the limb. Um, and then you could basically make sure you're not in any, because obviously you're in the water, make sure you could remove yourself from the water or get someone to help you, and then apply direct pressure to where the actual um, bite mark is. Um, direct pressure could just be uh, a rolled-up towel if you don't have anything else, anything that would stop um, basically bleeding. And I'm talking about a lot of pressure. Um, I mean pushing hard, not softly, so putting a lot of pressure on it. Um, if if you know, you can assess it and it's still actively hosing out blood, that's when we can move across to using things like tourniquets, okay, um, and doing things where we think there's actively, you know, peeing out blood. So below the area, it's still pissing out blood and you've got active pressure on it, I'm talking hard, then you could think about tourniquets if you think it's arterial bleeding, yeah. Right. So you, you should be able to visually, like, know the difference between the two. You would. If it's arterial bleeding, it's going to be squirting out blood. Yeah. Um, yep. So if that's the way I think about it. Like arterial is squirting out blood. Venus will be like oozing. But if they're still oozing blood, think about it. When I was talking about the 15, 30, 40, we're talking about the body has, you know, 4.5 litres. So if you can look on the ground and there's like more than a litre of blood or more, you know the patient's getting close to game O. You know, do you know what I mean? So just applying pressure is good. But if you're losing more and more, then obviously that's when we can talk about the use of tourniquets. Right. Um, I mean, and and you got to do all this while trying not to send the person into shock, which is like yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So shock shock's been identified as different things. So shock is when a patient basically, you know, their heart rate increases. Um, they have there's different severity scores for trauma, if that makes sense. So injury injury mm-hmm. severity scores. And we score things based on, you know, where is the injury? Is it to the distal part of the limb, the ankle? Is it to the calf? Is it above the knee or below the knee? Um, If you get where I'm tracking with this sort of stuff. Obviously, the the greater the injury severity, the the greater the chance the patient can die. So if you're bitten on the calf compared to the quad and it's the same size bite, the quadricep has more muscle. The quadricep has more vascular supply. The quadricep is a bigger muscle with more blood. So then you're more than likely to die, to be honest with you. That's just the, the pure science of it. Um, now, there's always ways to remain calm. I can give you a little example of where pressure has been used to save someone's life and where a tourniquet has been used to save someone's life, if that actually helps. Absolutely. But just before you do, I want to mention as well, if you have to use a tourniquet, there's a lot of interesting um, articles online that say you can use things like a surfboard leg rope or something similar so there's always ways that you can improvise with ones if you are at the beach or in a remote area but i as i suggest to everyone if you're going to surf in a remote area which a lot of people in wa do need to have a trauma kit with you in your car just keep it with you at all times yeah i like that mads um the the case i went to with the guy 
they use basically he was bitten okay um he quick thinking and his friend so um applied basically a leg rope so they saved his life with a leg rope so anything that can cut off supply that can be used tightly can be used if you think about any sort of tourniquet now it's basically like a strap with a large pen like piece on it and you twist it like a whimlass system and that basically tightens around circumferentially so anything that can circumferentially cut off supply can be used as a, as a tourniquet device yeah that makes sense yeah yep. so it doesn't just have to be a tourniquet if you don't have one um and these guys used a leg rope and that has been used to save people's lives for sure it, leg ropes can stretch they can get very tight great use of a product that you've got in your that's amazing that it, it worked in that situation yeah you could use a bag strap you could use even a diving if you were diving you could use anything that could cause anything to get tight oxygen tubing i don't know anything that can provide pressure could be used um anything that you know if you're spearing you've got a spear gun that has a, a rope around it, a spear you know rubber anything that can provide tension and pressure it's a simple way of saving lives um which you can be used um and and we'll talk about tourniquets in a bit one one cool one recently a real clinical case we had a guy uh, a friend of mine um was on and um did identify all this of course but he was actually dragged into a um like a mulcher um which you get in trauma but it was lower limb amputee um from now the quick thinking of a police officer who was on scene as in like he was driving his car um and then basically pulled over all he did the guy was obviously hosing out blood out of the lower limbs excessively. He got two of his knees and jammed them into the patient's groin, both of his groins. And we'll talk about something that you can do because that's the femoral artery. Right. So this is the new thing that's come out with, with, with putting your – I've seen it. It's very new, everyone listening. They just released an article about it, about someone putting their fist into that area. So I'm really stoked that you brought this up So I want to talk about this. I've got it here in front of me. I've got it here in front of me. Cool. So – um, to remember it for people, we've all got hips, we've all got bits. So you've got, does that make sense? You've got, you've got hips, everyone's got a hip, and everyone's got bits. Bits means genitalia, penis, vagina, you know, you're playing the ball game. So what you do if you find somebody like this is they recommend that you lay the patient flat, leave their wedding on. Um, obviously, the next thing is to obviously find the outside of the hip, find their bits, obviously. Um, and then obviously find halfway between the hips and the bits in the groin crease, get your fist and jam it straight down with a closed fist and hold it there. Okay. Whether or not you kneel in the patient's groin, who cares? If they're going to die, you can save their life. Yeah, I'd probably have to do that because I don't have the strongest or the biggest arms. So No, you're, yeah, yeah, and uh, like everyone's got a knee, man. So you yeah. can just kneel in the patient's groin. Does How that make amazing sense? is that, though? Like, what a good piece of advice. And just to, to to cut it off at the source. But, like, I'm just picturing, like, coming up to a shark attack victim and just leaning on them and just digging my knee into their groin and trying to explain that I'm trying to help them. And it's <laughs> hopefully I never put in that position. But, uh, yeah. And it's just yeah. anything that – and always say and, – and the last step is don't stop. So you continue to do it and you don't stop. And that's the key is that if, like you mentioned before, if you've, uh, this is the way I sort of explain it. If you were to have a tyre and it's got a hole in it down the bottom of the tyre or just anywhere, even a hose, a hose is probably a good example. Um, 
And you've got like obviously, you know, water coming out of that sort of area and you block it off just above it. But then if you can go up to the source right at the tap and turn it off, which would be like the femoral artery, if you can go to that source and, and put pressure there, then, you know, you're stopping the further flow of blood down the body. That of makes course, sense. it makes so much sense. Yeah. This applies for lower limb injuries, if that makes sense. If we get someone that's bitten in a different area, it can be harder. But I'm just giving you an example for the lower limb. So this is like if someone's bitten on the leg, which is quite common and quite dangerous, as you said. So one question I have is like, if it's their left leg, do you focus on the left side of the groin or do you have to get both sides based on? No, you just focus on that same side. So okay. focus on the left, focus on the side that they've been injured. Yeah. Um, and obviously push down. The other side's actually helpful for us to ass- assess shock. So one one little thing to do is, um, medically is we'll go through that algorithm that I talked about before March, um, which is really helpful. But you can actually check a pulse on the other limb. Um, if the patient has a pulse on the other limb, it can mean that they're getting circulation to the rest of their body and they're not going into shock. Because how the body works um, is that, I, I don't know how to describe this, but it likes to sort of, you know, your brain is your central processing unit, like a computer. Um, and let's just say we've got leads attached, we've got a phone attached, we've got like, you know, a USB mouse attached or something, all right? So when the, if, if the computer wants to shut down, it, it, it sort of turns off all the other accessories first before it shuts down itself. You know, like close this application, you get me? Like close down your windows, close down your... So all those are signs of what's, what's coming up. So those are the signs you look for if someone's too far gone. Yep, exactly right. So they're things that the body is basically trying to shut itself off, and, that, and that's shock. So... What you should do if we're talking about like putting that pressure on, you should if you've got an injured leg and the leg's not off, not amputated, on the limb that you've provided the pressure, you shouldn't be feeling a pulse. There should be no pulse there. You should be applying so much pressure if you're trying to tourniquet that there's no pulse in that leg. Mm-hmm. Now, the best way to find a pulse on a foot is if you go between your big toe and your second toe and just sort of slide up between the two and just on top of the ridge of the forefoot, you'll find a pulse. The other way is to actually come around the back of your heel where you've got your little notch of your ankle and just on the inside side, there's another pulse there. Um, so one thing to do is if you, you know, just to, just for people out there learning, there's pulses that are in your feet. So, um, and you've got femoral pulses. If you were to get your hand now and put it in your groin, you'll feel your femoral pulse going off. It's quite strong. Amazing. Yeah. So if you're doing your job right, you shouldn't be able to feel that in the leg that's been bitten. Yes, if you're pulling, if we're tourniqueting it. So if we're blocking it off hardcore, then there shouldn't be below the leg, below where you're putting the pressure, there shouldn't be a pulse if we're tourniqueting. Yep. So something really simple but makes so much sense that I have in my surfing guide um, and this group in Western Australia, Terra Australis, that my friend does. It's They did an amazing first aid video about shark attacks. And there's two little things in there that I wanted to mention to you that was really cool. So one of them is if, if someone's bitten, then everyone in the water needs to work together to get them out of the water. So an interesting thing about this is there is a theory, and it's been documented, that great whites will bite something, like a seal, for example, and they'll actually leave it to bleed out before they come back and eat it. And that way there's no risk of their eyes getting injured by the seal struggling or anything like that. So if that's true and they're sometimes doing that to people, then we do have the ability to get people out of the water to care in that time. So that's a really important time to act as soon as someone's been bitten. And they did this amazing video that showed 
when you make a big surface area with all your surfboards, it'll deter the shark from coming back. So if you're in the water with all your mates and you're all working to get someone out of the water, make a big surface area with all your boards. I like it. They talk. We talk about controlling the scene. This is a this is a term that we use in the clinical setting, or even paramedics use it. Or in pre-hospital, we talk about controlling the scene, and that's why I said there's a different role for the person who's being bitten, or for the team. So there's a high chance of someone surviving if there's people there to help them. So most times when you see any sort of hemorrhaging control, if there's more than one person there to help. They have a higher chance of surviving if people are trained, if that makes sense. Which is why we don't want to encourage people surfing alone as well. Yeah, I know. That's bad, isn't it? So I say this. I say, first of all, control the scene. So how far are you, are, are you from the shore? You need to remain calm. You need to be clear in communication. So guys, we have this. We need to do this together, like you mentioned, put our boards around each other. The next thing is where do you need to go? So do you need to go out of the water? Do you need to be brought so someone need to bring something to you like a board to float on top of okay yeah does that make sense yeah um so where do you need to go um and i always think about um communication is super important when it comes to any sort of traumatic event when there's clear communication someone always stands out when it comes to saving someone's life and it's always a simple task but when it's done well it can provide life-saving care the other thing to mention is that you can actually turn to mush um i recently interviewed a paramedic who basically his friend got hit off his push bike with major injuries to his spine, back, and chest. And he knew him very well and basically tells how he got to the scene and he basically couldn't even operate because he was so shocked. So it's really important that we can go into shock from looking at it as well. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. I feel like that would be me. Um, yeah. I'm definitely like way more prone to PTSD than other people. I, I have the freeze response. Some people have the flight yeah. response and they jump into action and I have the freeze. So I really like learning about all this stuff so I can pray to God that I'm going to be able to put it into action if I'm ever in that situation, you know, just know as much as possible because I'm definitely prone to just freaking out. And I don't know. I, I it's It's funny because I always say, if I wasn't doing shark stuff, I would have loved to have done something in paramedic science. But I don't know how because I can't even look at, like, someone with a small cut that needs a Band-Aid without getting a little queasy. So hopefully it'll never come to that. But, yeah. Oh, mate, it's – it's um, I think you're right. Like, everyone has knows what they're going to – what they will do. Um, but, you know, you can train in those environments. Training – we talk about simulation in the medical environment. And I'm sure in diving you guys could do a sim where you could be like, all right, let's pretend that um, someone's going to get, uh, you know, this happen. Let's practice our, our drill or our code. We're big on codes in hospitals so that we know that if I do get a pediatric patient in or I do get someone in with this, I know that we, we're going to operate in this sort of realm. Um, what a, what a good cool. thing to get in the habit of doing if you're surfing with all your mates. Just have a plan. Just have a strategy. Just... And this this is what not enough conservationists are doing is just addressing the need for a plan. Like a lot of people want to save sharks by making people think that they're not dangerous. And I understand that, but in reality, they are dangerous and we've got a better chance saving people if we're honest about that. So having a plan in place and, and the reality of that danger and don't let the Australian government convince you that you're safe because there's a shark net. You're not going to be safe because there's a shark net. There's been more than 36 attacks at netted beaches. but they're all beaches with lifeguards on them, so they get a really quick response time from first responders, which I assume is why they haven't turned into fatalities. 
Correct. And I think first responders and, and what I guess the thing is, um, I didn't want this to be a tourniquet talk, but some some myths about tourniquets I'd probably like to bust, if that's cool with you. Of course. Um, are that basically, in a nutshell, there's, there's probably three really good studies. All of this stuff comes out of Afghanistan, to be really honest with you. Um, and it's sad because that stuff has high trauma. But we also see really cool medicine, if that makes sense. So, you know, there were studies with like 232 patients that basically had below knee arms, you know, mainly explosive devices. And they found that early the tourniquet use, the better for patients when there's big bleeding. So remember, big bleeding, not just a scratch, not just a laceration. I'm talking big, decent bleeding. Um, tourniquet time, we're, we're roughly talking, you know, it, we, we don't really want to go over two hours with tourniquets, if, if you want me to be super honest with you. Um, when we're getting above the, you know, four-hour mark, we do start to see damage, if that makes sense, neurovascular damage. Um, we start to see neuropathy, all those bad things related to nerves, because we have nerves, muscles, veins, and arteries in the leg as well, okay? Um, but if someone's dying, um, a tourniquet is useful. Um, it can be useful. Putting it in the right spot is important, so I do recommend that people actually look at how to put one on, because, um, you know, if you're not putting it on properly, then you're not doing it. You can just not be, obviously, stopping the bleeding, and the blood can keep coming out. There's some cool videos of just how to put on tourniquets, which are cool, um, which I think are really helpful for us. But the two-hour time is roughly for tourniquets. Um, in theatres, like when people are getting surgery, sometimes they've got tourniquets on for way longer than that. But there was a huge myth about tourniquets, and, and people were like, no, you'll, you'll you know, cause so much damage. But if someone's actually actively hemorrhaging, um, I've seen people, when they've applied direct pressure, get cerebral perfusion back. What I mean by that is they're unresponsive. Let's say that. We had a guy who an oxygen tank blew up on his leg, um, so he's amputated leg. Um, the people got on scene and obviously applied pressure, elevated the leg, tourniquet, um, and the guy woke up again, as in like, you know, wow, you know, getting that perfusion back to the brain. What's going on? Where am I? Obviously, that sort of stuff. So just getting, if you think about the 4.5 litres I mentioned before, there's blood flow going back to up, up to those major vessels, the brain, the processing unit that are really important. But never forget just a simple pressure. I know it seems simple to say, this dude just talked to me about putting pressure over a wound. It can be life-saving, just simple pressure. Absolutely. And if you look at shark attack statistics, it is 100% like blood loss is the biggest thing. So knowing how to deal with that is is so important. And I, I just feel like, do you, do you feel like the Australian government in particular needs to make shark attack first aid more commonly known amongst people and surfers and even kids at schools in Australia? Yeah, I want this little um, acronym, you know, push halfway between the hips and the bits. Just put up on the, like, lifeguarding, like, you know, just put up so people can see it. Um, not to scare people, but um, it's first aid, and I think first aid needs to be more common for people to see. Well, you can't um, go to Darwin without a sign about crocodiles and jellyfish. Like, we have vinegar at all the beaches because of jellyfish, and it's like this really amazing recognition that there are dangerous things there and if you think about it we don't have that anywhere else which is crazy like we should have that all along the east coast but we don't because the government's really scared of scaring away tourists with the idea of sharks yeah and i think that's it they see a picture of it and it automatically instincts in them oh has there been a shark attack here but no i'm just showing you what would happen if we wanted to oh don't talk about that you know what i mean like it's almost yeah. like don't bring up the elephant in the room it's like but there's an elephant in the room, bro. You're like, you know, like. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, um, 
one of the acronyms which I wanted to sort of talk about, which we follow in, which is cool, and I think people can follow it, is like we talked about the massive hemorrhaging, which is like March, because think about just marching, walking. A is always our airway. So if we can look at someone from a basic first aid and ensure they're still breathing. Respirations, we all have a watch on our phone. Um, we can just see how long, how much someone's breathing per minute. Normal for a, an adult is like 12 to 20. Circulation, I said check a pulse, which we all would know from basic first aid to check a pulse. Hypothermia is a big one in trauma. So with massive hemorrhaging when our patients are cold, it's a bad thing. Wow, so a good example in your that. environment. No, so what actually happens when you get cold is you become coagulopathic. Your blood becomes cold and doesn't work in the way it should. So you always got to keep trauma patients warm. We're a big advocate for it. At big hospitals, we give, we, we, if we lose blood, we replace blood, okay? It's a big thing that's going to save lives. But also we make sure it's warm. We've got to warm your patient up. Um, so if you can get your patient to a warm area, it's better for them in terms of their um, survival rates if they're warm as well, okay? Uh, and the last thing is everything else, which is the E on March. It's got a H and an E. And E is everything else and extraction, which we mentioned before. Getting the patient, you know, your patient basically, if they've had a big injury to the leg, they need blood products more than likely if they're really hemorrhaging. They need to go to a big hospital or a hospital that can actually provide life-saving care, a surgeon. Um, so I always think about with everything else is I need help now. Has that been communicated with somebody um, who can get help? Am I clear with where my location is? So where am I? Where's my location? Where do I need to get to? What things do I need to to get out of here? It's like scene control and management. Um, and they're things that we need to go. The other thing on the tourniquets, all tourniquets should have a time on them. Either put it on your phone or write it on the patient. It sounds really silly. You can write it on people's arms or on the tourniquet when the tourniquet was applied. So we cannot go over three to four times. I know it's real simple stuff, but when you're dealing with a shark attack, the last thing you're going to remember is when you put the tourniquet on. <laughs> totally, totally. I imagine you're just so in the zone. Is Is there any... Uh, relevance to the recovery position. I mean, we talk about the recovery position a lot in regards to like losing consciousness, but is it something we need to think about with shark attack victims? Um, I think they say lie the patient flat um, in terms of what you should do. If they're, if, if, um, they're not maintaining their own airway um, or they're having seizure activity, sometimes lying them in a recovery position can help um, for airway control manoeuvres. Um, but laying, staying flat um, is fine. You can do that. I think it, de- and you can get better control from pressure, which is what's going to save their life. Because if they're laying on their side, you're not going to be able to provide um, really good hip in terms of um, flexion to, to stop the hemorrhage. So I suggest laying them flat in terms of being able to actually provide, provide better pressure. 100%. So one thing I've got on my shark. Um, surfing guide is that you lay them with their head facing the water if there's a bit of a hill or a slope at the beach so that that's provided that the injury is like in their legs or somewhere just so that the area that's losing blood is more uphill but in reality just to put them wherever it's going to be easiest for you to apply pressure and like maybe if you're in the sand or something put them on their board so that when you're applying pressure you've got a hard surface behind you that's going to help as well yeah and you know, with any sort of shark injury, I'm sure we have to think about other things. So like long bone fractures, so fractures to the leg as well, um, and sitting them on the side with a fractured leg. Because if, if a shark's going to bite you, yes, it can take muscle, but it can also break bones. Um, excruciating yeah. pain. Pain will increase heart rate. Pain will also increase blood loss. So um, making sure the patient is comfortable is actually very important. 
Um, when I talked to this guy actually recently, um, he talked about not looking at the actual wound. So he never looked at the shark. He's had like most of his thigh removed. He never looked at it because he told himself that if I don't look at it, I won't go into shock. And that's a real helpful, it's a real helpful thing um, for people to learn. And, you know, I, I dressed his wounds like, you know, when he was up in the trauma ward, I regularly saw it uh, and he never looked at it, ever, he never looked at it. And he said, I don't want to look at it. Um, I don't want to actually look at it. And he did that from this moment he got bitten to the moment he was discharged. Isn't that amazing? I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, sometimes just not looking at it, letting someone else who's calm to follow your algorithm, um, whether it's not your March algorithm or your ABCD algorithm, um, you know, number one, stopping that hemorrhage. Um, and, you know, not looking at it can also mean that, you know, they don't go into shock, which is important. I have a, a friend that I uh, lived with in Australia and she, one of my closest friends, and she's like the loveliest, sweetest little hippie. And she, when she gets blood tests, she loves to watch it happening. And I think that she's one of the most morbid, insane people that I've ever met in my entire life for that reason alone. <laughs> like, who wants to watch the needle going into your arm? She's like, I, I like to watch them take blood. I'm one of those people that's like, trying to just look at anything, anything. I'll find a spot on the wall and I'm just like, this isn't happening. Well, a blood test scare the crap out of me. So I feel like people that can look at a blood test are probably more likely to survive a shark attack than people such as myself who don't want to look at something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's so true, hey. And I think, too, which you've mentioned, like divers, surfers, um, we all have a thing. And, I, I mean, it's all in surfing about remaining calm in relation to breath holding in waves. Um, it's, it's important. It's the staying calm in relation to being in rips, those sort of things too, which are helpful. Um, you know, going to your breathing techniques, your Wim Hof, whatever you do to keep yourself calm, um, is very important. Mental, mentally, these things, when I've seen people that have survived major trauma, when they don't mentally give up, if that makes sense, if you're with me, um, it's a big part of it. Mental is huge as well as the physical. Now, I'm not saying if you want the will to win your legs off, you are going to die. I'm sorry. Blood is going to come out of your leg, you know. However, when you have both of those things is in early life-saving care and first aid and the mental ability to say, I'm, we're going to get through this. I've just got to get myself to the hospital. We're going to get there. The positive affirmations, they are very beneficial for recovery processes. Amazing. They make a big difference. That's yeah. good to know. So, I mean, it's – yeah, I mean – there's just a couple of simple, yeah, I don't know if they're, yeah, I just think they're just little things to think about. The, the hips and the bits is always easy to remember for people. Yeah, I like and that then, one. Yeah, and even thinking about your tennis score, bro, I just sort of go, is it 50, is it 15%? Is a lot, is it, is it love? Is it 50, is it 30, or is it 40? I don't want to get to 40, so let's apply pressure. And the thing with pressure or a tourniquet, you can take it off. Like, if you apply it and it's wrongly applied, you can take those things off. Like, they're not guaranteed, you know, you're always re reassessing things as a, as a, as a person. Um, so we always talk about reassessing things, and I think reassessing is good. You know, you apply a lot of pressure to a little laceration and it stops bleeding. Oh, maybe you've done your job. And to the people listening, like, I really hope you never have to do any of this, but such simple things do make a huge difference. And there's, there's more and more things coming out to help in these situations, and one of them is um, it's called a Karmaz Shark Bite First Aid Slam Pack. Have you ever heard of that? No, hit me up. I'm with you. Go. So, 
I just want to like disclaimer, I don't even know this company. I'm definitely not getting sponsored by them, but I think that everybody needs to go buy one of these. Like I'm going to buy one. I only found it by accident. It's something, it's really cool, but it's like a little waterproof bag. It's called Calm As. It's, um, it's literally a shark, shark kit for shark bites. And it's something like, you know, it's just got like instruction cards, step-by-step shark bite management, a tourniquet, um, but also just like important bandages and, and information. And I feel like it's something that would definitely like bring a lot of comfort to myself to have in the car if I am surfing somewhere rather remote. And that these are all like steps that you and I are talking about are all things that we want to do before the person gets the proper medical care. So you're just like the very first, very at the base of the attack and what's happening. You just want to be doing as much as you can whilst getting them to the hospital. So obviously like it's it's to think fast in that situation is really important, but we just want that to be a step, right? So then they get the proper care. So I feel like these kits really help that. And it's, it's important to always keep in mind that this situation could happen wherever you are, wherever you're surfing. If it's really far away from people, let someone know, go with friends, have a kit in your car. Yeah. And I think that's really cool too, Mads. Like, you know, something really simple that my dad used to say to me, my dad races motorbikes. He said, I ride like I'm going to fall off in terms of what he wears. And I always was like, such a weird thing to say, but it makes sense to me. It's like, you know, dad, dad goes, I'm wearing the equipment or, or having my plan that I could fall off at 220 k's an hour, 250 k's an hour. And um, I love that. I love that approach. My dad's a gun. Um, and I think about that this stuff. It's the same as us. If we drilled in that we're going to get someone into ED that's going to have their leg off in an hour, we drill it as in practice it. Then when that comes in, we can go to our plan. We can go to our approach. Um, in, in the aviation world, they have this thing called sterile cockpit. We have that in resuscitation bays. Uh, and what we mean by that is when we've got a big resus on, it's really quiet. It should be quiet. We try to keep it quiet um, so that we can communicate well. When we get to serious stuff, I mean that. Um, so it's really important to sort of have your planned approach and to think what could happen to me. Am I prepared for it? What would be my approach? This guy that I actually treated, he already had a plan for himself if he got bitten by a shark. Um, he was a semi-pro surfer, as in he was on the QS um, surfing tour. So this guy's was an up-and-coming surfer trying to get on the on the CT, which is the um, qualifying event for surfing in Australia. So this guy is, does a lot of water time. Um, you know what I mean? And he's just an amazing human in terms of, um, yeah, what he's doing. That makes and sense. he had it in his head that there could be potential for him to, which is really, really respectful i find that a really respectful trait of someone is to be aware that there is danger facing them yeah which i really liked i was like he he wasn't silly he knew that it possibly could be i mean he was surfing at 7 p.m um at bombo which is a local beach down you'd know it past wollongong do we know what Um, type of shark was responsible well yeah so i i probed him on it to be honest with you um and he's a you you love these mads actually he um they were trying to do obviously testing in relation to his skin, what type of bite it made, uh, and basically he said the shark hit him like a, like as in like fast, fast. He said that it was like just smacked him, um, and he said that in the end they were saying that it was a great white, but he believes that it's a bull shark. Bull from shark. The way yeah. that it, the bull shark from the way that it operated, um, but he told the media and told people that it was 
a great white because they said they were going to go and hunt and kill it, and he doesn't believe in that. So he said he said it was a, a great white, and they're like, oh, cool. So he goes, okay, they won't touch it then. Um, so they agreed not to do any sort of, like, search and, you know, find anything. What a legend. Um, so, yeah, he's an amazing human. He's, um, yeah, just writing his, his video and documentary will be out this year. Awesome. Um, and he's gonna be he's gonna be on this episode talking about oh on this episode that um I did with you earlier about um his shark attack which would be sick. Amazing. I'm gonna have to put um, a link to that in the show notes of this episode. And I just think that that's something that I've seen as a common theme amongst these people that are getting attacked by sharks while surfing is they don't want anything to happen to the shark. They knew the risk. They're very respectful. I feel like the only time bad things happen to the sharks is when the government steps in. Hundred percent. I, I think you're perfectly right on that, dude. I think it's um, yeah, I think it's an important thing to think about. Hey, is it? And how's he doing now? Man, he's amazing, bro. He so his um doco is going to be out soon. He's still ripping in the surf, like as in yeah. So he epic. went to, came to my house last week, which was epic. We hung out. Um, he is doing well. He's just done a recent um half marathon, ran a half marathon. They actually, they actually um, took part of his lat dorsi from his back and, and basically grafted it to his quad muscle. Um, and so it's an amazing sort of story. Um, and he's running, he's surfing again, he's surfing big waves, he's going to Hawaii to surf again. Um, so just an amazing human. Um, I used to bring him in surf mags while he was sitting in his bed. Oh, of course he did. <laughs> yeah, so... It's just an amazing, and he's—it's actually really cool. You can see his wetsuit, and basically, yeah, it's, he's got his wetsuit framed with the leg basically off the, That's the leg so part of the wetsuit. Cool. So I'll send you. Um, Brett Canellan's his name. He won't care if you look him up. Um, he gets nicknamed Shark Boy sometimes too, because oh, that's how people remember him. So there you go. What a legend! That's really yeah. cool. Um, but that's kind of cool, man. That's just some interesting sort of things. So, and and I always say, Mads, um. The key people in the sa- the safety of him and any time in pre-hospital is always the friends, family, and people that are around that are, are with someone or bystanders. Mm. You'd be so you'd be so surprised at the amount of people I've seen saved from bystanders that know basic first aid. As in, like you know, I've done CPR on the beach before. Um, I've seen people do it. Um, I've seen people even just provide rescues that the ordinary person that is just there at the right time makes a huge amount of difference to people. How amazing. Yeah, it's definitely something that we should all know, especially when we're, like I say, we're constantly playing in dangerous areas. So it's something that we should all consider having. Mm-mm-mm. And I, as you said before, a tourniquet is not too, too hard to have with you. Um, whether or not you use it or not, it doesn't matter. If you've got it with you, you're probably less likely to use it. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's um, like the time you go running and you're like, oh, bro, why didn't I freaking bring my headphones? You yeah, know, it's like yeah. I've always got attached to my. I have my headphones attached to my keys, and I can never leave them. You know. Always yeah, or like, or like when you go to the toilet without your iPhone, so you have to read the shampoo bottle. <laughs> That's like the worst thing you can do in this day and age, honestly. <laughs> You're so good. I love when it. you have to be it. alone with your thoughts, it's just like. Oh. So always be prepared is the moral. Always be prepared. You know, it's a, is it the um, Boy Scout motto? Always be prepared. Um, and one thing to add to. Um, there are some places that tourniquets can be hard in creases. So like under the knee in the crease sometimes um, can be an area that we that sometimes, you know, 
obviously the way the knee's designed, it can you won't occlude it as well. So trying to go above the area that's bitten is always important. Um, even half a hand length is probably good, you know, just sort of to give you a bit of a rough estimate. You want to be above the above the area. Um, that's just something to think about when you're applying those sort of tourniquets, little things like that. That's good advice. Um, yeah, just good advice to sort of know where to put it. Um, and arms and stuff, same sort of thing. You do have big vessels that go to your arms. The legs are bigger. You look at your legs, they're bigger than the upper body. Um, so just something to think. Some people have things like hemostat, which is like a quick clot. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have hemostat, that's something you can use. Um, that's basically you remove the clots that are visible apply the hemostat, its aim is to basically cause hemostasis, which is clotting, which prevents you dying. Um, which is a big so deal. Always, yeah. And also, if you are a patient out there, um, you, you might have pre-medical conditions, so it's really important to tell people around you if you do have other things that are bleeding issues. Mm-hmm. You could be on blood thinning medication. Um, you know, those things that when you get the pre-retrieval come to see you, it's very helpful to know um, if you are actually do you have a heart valve or something and you are on blood thinners, yeah. um, your risk of mortality would obviously increase, um, is, if that makes is, sense. Is that um, what you just mentioned, is that the same as a combine dressing? Yeah, like a combine dressing there. Um, okay. A combine is like a is like a is basically a pad, but these um, have like a pressure dressing that has um, this sort of uh, medicine in it basically that causes clotting, yeah. Because these combine um it patches the dressings are actually included in this uh, Karmaz shark kit as well. Yep. Yeah. And um, I, I, I say um, as well, like you've got to be, you got to protect yourself as well. I know you might not always have gloves, but a towel or something just to protect yourself. Yeah. Um, you've got to the rest of you. I know it seems really silly, but you are, it's important to sort of provide. The water's cool because, you know, there's all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Transference is low. In any sort of big trauma, we always want to protect ourselves as well. Of course. Um, because we've got to continue to work every day. Um, so just some of those sort of things. But a combine dressing is easy, a towel, whatever, apply pressure. Yeah. Um, you know, use those, use those knees. If you've got the tourniquet, apply it above the wound. Get tension on it. You should make sure that there's no pulse below it if it's really tight because you're stopping bleeding. You don't want them to hemorrhage out. Um, so you're just going to apply good pressure. Uh, seeing control is a life-saving skills. Seeing control are life-saving skills. Um, and direct pressure is definitely a life-saving skill. It's just, and these, yeah, it's, it's there's easy. such yeah. easy things to know as well, like such simple things to to be aware of that are part of life, especially in Australia, that everyone should know. So I really hope this podcast is like useful for people listening. Yeah, and if you, um, I say mentally offload too. So if there's more than one person there, mentally offloaded to someone else, so you can't do everything. I'm applying pressure on on Maddie's wound or I'm putting my knee in Maddie's groin or I'm applying a tourniquet, I ver- in my resuscitations, I verbally tell people what I'm doing. It's really great. Um, I, I, I have a, you know, it sounds really stupid, like, but it's actually really helpful. I have a 21-year-old girl. You know, I've got Maddie here. She's been bitten by a shark at the lower leg. Um, I'm applying pressure. You're, you, I know it seems silly, but you're talking to yourself because you're reminding yourself of the things you've been taught in training. I'm now going to, um, apply pressure. I'm going to put my knee between or my fist between a hips and a bits. Um, can someone please get me out of tourniquet? You're mentally offloading to someone else. Yeah. Um, someone please organize how we can get, you know, Maddie out of here or whatever. That's mentally offloading to someone else because you can't do it all. Yeah. 
Wow. So don't don't be a hero. Use use your team. You know that's what teamwork's all about is using your team. It's hard to know how you'd actually react in these situations until they happen. But it's I, you honestly do feel a little more comfortable. Like if you're surfing and and you know the brief things that we spoke about in your podcast, where I say, okay, this is what a shark's looking for, and you know those things, and of course you feel a little more comfortable because you're like, well, if I do see a shark, I can do this. And it's the same yes. thing with this, is that you just want that little basis of knowledge so that if something does happen, you just know a little more than you would have before. Yeah, and I think that's cool too, dude. And I think the hard part would be obviously extrication out of the water. That's a really difficult thing, but getting out as quick as you can is definitely helpful. Um, and then you can, you know, if you can apply pressure while you're waiting, but getting out first for safety if there's an immediate threat to yourself, that's one of the things we're taught about. If there's an immediate threat, you need to remove yourself from the environment. So getting yourself out of the environment, if you're able to do it all by assistance uh, and then applying all of those processes are really important. And the other thing I just want to say as well is like for people that surf and stuff, like I, I have literally gone up to a surfer and like a, like a middle-aged man and said, this is my drone shot I got about five minutes ago. There's a dead whale up there. The current's going this way and you're about to go surfing in its wake and there are great whites here. Just wanted to let you know. And the I just got brushed off and he just laughed and went surfing. And, you know, like it, it's all up to you. It's your choice. Free country. I get that. But then think about the think about you. Think about the nurses and the first responders and the bystanders and the people that are going to probably be traumatized because they've got to help you like you can't just think about yourself when you're going surfing you have to think about everyone you have to have a community approach as well yeah it's a, you know as i said before i've started to become and i'm getting older to wiser in so many ways when i wouldn't be um we, we used to dive just by ourselves now don't do that um surfing as i said before I was surfing with my brother i surf with somebody um which is really cool and little things you can do. And you have to respect the ocean and the things in it. Yeah. Um, like we're, we're visitors in that area. I live on the land, you know, does that make sense? I don't sleep in the water at night. Um, I go into that environment and like, you know, Indigenous people, I do respect the land and, and the ocean. And part of the things in the ocean are sharks. Um, so, but knowing what to do in this situation, you don't want to have to do it, but you want to know what to do if it does happen. So as a surfer, how do you feel about sharks when you're out there? Um, you know, there's days when I feel like a good example, like I swam around Shark Island, which is a, like at Cronulla. It's not. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it was a day where I got them. You get vibes. I'm a vibe kind of guy. So I got vibes swimming out there. It was a big day. And I was like, oh, I just feel like something's around. You know, you just get those vibes. So I'm, I, I do still have that intrinsic feeling sometimes i might get out of the water west oz was a bit like that in some areas i was like oh i just i'm gonna go in um i don't know what that is if that's instinctively in me um i sort of have my plan what i would do if i got bitten by a shark which would be for me as a surfer apply my leg rope get on my board get the next wave in and then wave my hand that i need help that's all i would do remain calm get out of the water get on my board because my board would push me in faster than, than trying to swim and just let people know I've been bitten by a shark. Simple stuff. I've been bitten by a shark. I need help. And just applying pressure to my wound. Um, and then um, I feel that I'm in their environment. And if I was to die by being bitten by a shark, it sounds really stupid, but um, 
you know, I would be in an area that I love, if that makes sense. I no, would that's never a go beautiful way to look at it. Yeah, that's an amazing way. To, that's the approach everyone, that's how everyone should feel about it. Yeah, I don't go, I'm not silly as in like I don't, if I know there's a shark and something went off, I'm out of the water first thing, man, I'm paddling quick. Um, I don't want to die, you know, by being by shark, but I do feel um, that it's I'm worth in an area it. that I, It's worth the risk. Yeah, surfing is, but I'm still not silly about it, man. Yeah. Like it's the same as I don't ride a motorbike without a helmet. I don't ride a motorbike without a back plate, a chest plate. Yeah. Um, I don't ride without boots or gloves, you know. I still ride a motorbike. I have a high chance of dying riding a motorbike. I do love the feeling of being on a bike. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the, the, it's amazing that the things that you mentioned, because the thing that you just mentioned, I'm going to leave it with this, but that's something I put in the surfing guide because sharks are created to intimidate. Their presence in certain areas affects the movements of their prey, which then affects the growth of seagrass bed and, and everything. So the fact that you can pick up on a shark's presence, that's part of their evolution. That's part of their entire role in the ocean. So the number one thing I say to people is if you have this strange gut feeling, if it feels sharky, it is sharky. Get out. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Hey, Always trust that. Yeah, it's weird. Eh? And I, we do we use that in the clinical setting. I get this vibe with people. I'm like, this guy, like <laughs> the other week, we were literally. I was about to finish shift. I said, this guy's giving me weird vibes. Like, I feel like he's going to go into VT, which is a funny with me. He'd been in it once before, so there's always common denominators to things. And I'm like, I just feel like he's going to go and do it again. Anyway, long story short, I left the shift. I'd moved him into the resuscitation bay. I got a message of one of the girls with his ECG, basically showing his heart rhythm in VT, which is a life threatening rhythm. You die of it. So I was like, I'm so glad I moved him in. It was the gut intuition. Um, some of the stuff we talk about being, it's like the medical gut, the nursing gut. Um, it's hard to teach it, um, but it's there, that, that, that feeling you have. It's the same as when you meet someone, you're like, oh, something doesn't feel right. Um, I, I get the same vibe with clinical stuff in the ocean. Um, yeah. Which is amazing, and I'm sure heaps of surfers do too, and honestly, just listen to it because it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Benny, thank you so much for your expertise and there's little bits of advice and it's just been so good to listen to and it's something I really, really want to drill into people and anyone that's listening, thank you for listening to this and taking responsibility and being a mindful ocean person. Mm, thanks. No, thanks. for um, I really appreciate it. Hey, I hope um, people enjoy it. And um, yeah, I'm so grateful to be able to chat with you, Madge. You're a legend. Oh, thanks. Hopefully I never see you at work, hey? Oh, dude. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> come in for a coffee, but don't come in. Don't come in on a bed. You know what I mean? Thanks, Betty.